Hey, hi, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of How to Health Radio with me, your host, Maddie Ray Cooper. And today I am so excited to sit down and talk to my friend, Adam Marafiati. Is that how you say your last name properly? Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always, I'm, you know, you're so used to seeing people's handles and like knowing them by their handle. And then, you know, it's like, fun to actually be able to talk face-to-face like real human beings. Um, Adam, you are the founder and creator of the supplement company Lifeblood, which is one of my favorite supplement companies. I love all of your products. You just do such a great job. Um, And then you also have come out with this um, process called, you call it the energy restoration process. That's kind of a roadmap of, you know, for people who are kind of at a loss for what to do, maybe they're dealing with you know, chronic health issues or lack of energy or, you know, other various issues, you kind of give them this really simple roadmap to follow um, and to kind of get started. And also, I think, you know, it helps people understand where your products kind of fit into their lifestyle based on their needs. Um, And so I can absolutely sing the praises of all of your awesome supplements for so long. Um, But I am super curious And just to kind of get started for people who don't know you, can you just kind of give us a little bit of an intro um, and kind of tell us how you kind of got started on this path um, of kind of the alternative, alternative health? Thanks for the kind intro. And yeah, I, back in, I guess my earlier twenties, I, I was just looking for answers and uh, that I, I knew didn't exist in any sort of a medical sphere um i had a long history of like partying and drinking a lot binge drinking um so i think i kind of did a number on my body and i i went from basically feeling like uh like an immortal like young late teens early 20s kid to like feeling just like rapidly aged like physically and stuff um in a very short period of time. And it was a pretty distinct uh, difference that I felt like I dropped off a cliff, like uh, physically. And uh, I'd never obviously been old yet. So I was like, maybe this is just what getting old is like. I don't know, this sucks. But, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I found this guy, Dan, the life regenerator McDonald uh, on YouTube, just, you know, doing what I knew best, like searching around the internet for answers. Um, cause I didn't know where else to find them. And yeah, I, he would, he would just make juices. Like he was like a raw vegan fruitarian guy. And he would just like make juices and rant for like an hour on YouTube videos. And he was like big back in the day in the alt super alt health sphere. And, uh, yeah, I would just watch him do that. And, got super inspired to take my health into my own hands. And, and it was, it was the first time I'd really been introduced to this concept of like, you can fully control your health outcome based on what you put into you, uh, like into your body and, and what you, what you avoid as well, which was another huge, huge lesson that I learned in that period of time was, you know, of, avoiding the toxins and switching to all natural products and and it goes from everything you put on your skin to what you put in your mouth to the air that you breathe the water you drink uh that has to be an all-encompassing uh philosophy that you take 
for your life. And then everyone wins because, you know, when you take the fruit and you off the tree that's ripe and you eat it and then you plant the seed and it grows more and then you don't use the toxic thing to clean your house and your air is better for you and the runoff doesn't go into the plants and kill the plants. You know, there's this, everyone wins when you, when you embark in this holistic cycle. Um, and I think, I think that's really important to understand because it brings a lot of sense to this, to what we're doing. Um, and it brings a lot of sense to our reality, to our world. And we realize that when, when things are in alignment, uh, everyone wins and there's like this amazing symbiosis that happens here. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like, you know, it can kind of be frustrating when you've kind of been through the fire of experiencing this and kind of discovering that truth that, you know, when you kind of take on that radical responsibility and you become, you know, your your own best doctor and you really take responsibility for this this whole cycle of how you're living, what you're eating, what you're drinking, and then also like the byproducts that you're producing. Um, there's so much that, you know, just value and reward in that whole thing. And, you know, I, you see so many people right now, of course, we're just in like this really crazy time um, where everybody's kind of looking. I think I, I feel like they're looking for this, you know, and people talk about, you know, oh, well, I'm going to become vegan because I want to, you know, not create more carbon or something or, oh, I'm paying for carbon offsets or, you know, planting a mm -hmm. tree, you know, in Madagascar or whatever. Um, and, you know, we have all these people that are kind of having this disconnected view of maybe, you know, meanwhile, they're this is what they're trying to find. They're trying, I think this is our natural state as humans is to, you know, be a part of this life cycle and be really aware of all of our inputs, all of our outputs and living holistically with, other people with the world and everything. Um, and I feel like we've just kind of lost that. And that's why we have so many people right now that are just doing like weird stuff. And it's like, this is really the answer that you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, it's also because they've lost God as well. And, yeah. and what's happened is that they, they've basically been uh, inundated into the new religion that's been created. Um, and and there's been a new concept of sin introduced, uh, which has nothing to do with, you know, the traditional concepts of sin, like, uh, you know, greed, lust, envy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and instead it's the new concepts of sin are carbon, you know, like your, orig right. your original sin is your carbon footprints, you exhaling right. and you're, you're polluting the environment by just breathing. Um, and the other forms of, of sin are like you're you're a super spreader of viruses, um, which is a fictitious concept, and and you can basically be baptized against that by taking certain injections. Um, right. And so, yeah, what you have really is it's a totally new religion that's that's been. That it's replaced traditional religion and uh and that's why you have like like you said people doing all these weird things because deep in their hearts they want to be good and they and they want to absolve uh their sins and they want to 
they want to be good to to this earth and to God, but they just they either don't know how or they've been basically uh, deceived. Yeah. So and yeah, I, you it's know, great that we can help people get back there. Yeah, I think that's you know, and even just having these conversations and and kind of. <clears throat> You know, it's it's hard to be like that, um, the the truth teller, and especially in this time, because it's it's a little scary. And, you know, you'll often have a lot of like family or friends or, you know, random people on the Internet telling you that you're killing people or that you're a terrible person. Um, and so it, it, I, I have empathy for people who are kind of stuck in that um in that cycle and who get kind of pulled into that new religion um, mm-hmm. because it it's it's very hard to go against the grain and it kind of is against our nature to stir the pot. You know, we want to like be part of the group. We want to be part of the tribe. Um, but you know, when you kind of step away from that and realize that that's not the truth and you take that radical responsibility over yourself, um, you know, you do, you do find this community. Like there are these people out there that, you know, are, knowledgeable and who, you know, are open-minded and who are not drinking the the Kool-Aid. Um, and, you know, you, there's, there's a lot of friendship and there's a lot of great community to be had outside of, of this new religion. Um, that's kind of dumb and scary. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing it does is that it definitely makes us stronger because we, we see it and, and react to it in, in ways that are, you know, forming our communities and, and strengthening our, you know, tightening up our knots and, and yeah, I guess getting a little more privy to what's going on and, and reacting in a positive way. Yeah. So in a way it's a blessing. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it makes you really get so sure and so firm on what you actually believe because you have all these people attacking you all the time. Um, and it makes you actually really research and really be sure of what you think and be able to articulate what you think Mm -hmm. in, in better ways. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've never been so, um, articulate and sure of myself as when, you know, I start getting attacked by vegans telling me that (laughs) I did veganism wrong. Um, and that I'm, you know, I'm terrible for the planet because I, you know, eat local grass fed, uh, you know, beef from the local farm down the street that, you know, treats their animals like, uh, you know, just absolutely the best care ever. And Mm -hmm. like, okay, let me, let me tell you a little something. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of great. And a lot of times, too, you know, it's those, you know, 18 year olds that have been vegan for six months telling me that I did it wrong. And I'm like, just wait, just wait yeah. until you're a few years down the road. You start, you know, getting real wrinkly. You start having, you know, problems with your cycle. You maybe become infertile and then come back and talk to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we, we've probably been there, too. So I guess it helps for us to have a little empathy and wisdom and yeah, and know that they're on their journey as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's something there's so much to be said for that journey. And there are so many mistakes that I've made. um, And, you know, many of us have that kind of are in this on this journey of self-experimentation. But I wouldn't go back. You know, I was vegan for about three years um, Mm -hmm. and it absolutely messed me up so bad. But I love that experience and I learned so much from that. Um, 
And, you know, if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have found a lot of the people in this community um, that I've learned a lot from since then. So, you know, it's all it's all part of the journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have so many questions for you. Um, and I think one thing right before we started recording, um, I was just telling you that one of the things that I think you explain so well and just have such a awesome perspective on is your food philosophy. Um, and as you know, you've come from kind of that restrictive diet, like, you know, when you were vegan, you've had your times of restricting things. Um, and so have I, and one of the things that I, that you say that I think is just great is that there is value in all food and that it's up to you as the individual to find out, you know, if, and how that food works for you in your lifestyle, you know, during different seasons, different phases of your journey. Um, and I'm just curious how you kind of came to that conclusion, because I think that is just so well said. Thank you. Um, yeah, just I like to think about like, like really sort of like bird's eye kind of like framework concepts a lot more than like focusing on, you know, individual molecules or trying to figure out always this kind of what to do uh, type perspective more. I like to kind of see how things work and then, and then I try to pick, pick it apart from there. But one thing I noticed was that like, when you look at uh, diets like the carnivore diet or a vegan diet or something, they always have this, uh, this theoretical framework behind it, which is like, let's say when, when they're talking about a, a carnivore diet, like you hear like Paul Saladino or something. And, you know, I respect a lot of his message, but when you hear him talk about it, he talks about, he, he paints uh, an entire picture of his perspective on how the world works based on this sort of evolutionary perspective where everything is evolving and trying to protect itself and everything is trying to eat everything else. And so he's saying, you know, plants are don't are running and hiding and defending and animals don't do that. And so you can eat them and fruits and this and that. And his his whole perspective is around anti-nutrients and the evolution of things. And um, I guess what what he what they fail to to mention in that is that you know, we have human intelligence and we're not just a a random sort of product of evolution. And our intelligence is greater than any other, you know, species on this planet. And because, because we're humans and, and there's no one else like us, we're created by God and in his image. And, and what our intelligence allows us to do is to decipher how to use things and how to process things, you know, animals, for instance, that diet may more make more sense to an animal that doesn't know how to process things in certain ways or create technologies. Um, But us as humans, we can, we can take a vegetable that has maybe nutrients in it that are harmful to us or, or absorb the nutrients and don't let us absorb them. Um, we can make a tea out of that. We can make a tincture out of that. You know, there's a lot of different things that that we know how to do that other species don't. And that's 
that's what makes us able to use all the foods uh, because all foods do have value and it's just up to us to just to say okay what amounts should i use this food in or how should i process it should i eat it raw should i make a tea out of it should i boil it etc etc and um this is something intrinsically human and and it's unique to our intelligence as far as i'm concerned yeah that makes so much sense and you know i i love that idea that you know it, it empowers you to to know that you have the intelligence, this innate, amazing, God-given intelligence to be able to nourish yourself um, with everything that's out there. And, you know, it gives you just so much more freedom. Um, and, you know, but I think sometimes people, we get talked out of this idea that we really do know what's best for us and that we have this ability to tap into this inner wisdom. Um and so I think, you know, it's it's encouraging to hear that, that, you know, really, if you it, sometimes it takes some trial and error and you might have to experiment, you know, it does take some learning. Um, but, you know, we do have that ability as humans. We are special. We are different. And, you know, lions maybe don't know how to like ferment sauerkraut, you know, or yeah. steam kale <laughs> in the same way that we can. Um, and so I think, you know, you're there's so many of these diets now are kind of like they have some aspects that are valuable, but they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and yeah. we lose a lot of the nuance. And there's just so, and, and I get it, you know, it's hard to make an Instagram post that applies to everybody because we're all super different and there's always going to be exceptions. Um, but, you know, like one of the things that I see all the time is, you know, fiber is terrible. You should not have any fiber. Fiber is a yeah. myth. You know, fibers across the board, it's bad. And I'm like, that is wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. It depends on the type. It depends on how you make it. It depends on how you eat it. Um, but for most people, unless you have some, you know, crazy exception to the rule, um, fiber is probably going to be helpful for you in, in some ways. Um, yeah. So that's just, to, to bile and to, yeah. you know, like excess cholesterol that's built up or stuck bile and, um, and to, facilitate elimination and the and the other thing i i was i would add to that is that you know we can look that's when the sort of looking at tradition uh there's there's a lot of people that really fantasize about the tradition and stuff and i think that's we can look back at traditional diets and certain older cultures that that came before us before the industrial revolution and you can see a lot of that intelligence applied there um not to say that they're always perfect, but there are many examples of, of that happening. And uh, another addition I would make is that um, there's basically can be this idea that if we can't absorb the nutrients in something, it's, it's inherently a useless food or, or not a good food. But that's when uh, looking at at different layers of functionality of foods come into play because you know just because when i eat raw dandelion i'm not absorbing the minerals or the the nutrients in the in the dandelion doesn't mean that it's a bad food to eat or or a useless food instead you can see that it's actually a bitter herb and it's stimulating bile production and so it's helping my liver detox and 
lowering stuck bile, stuck cholesterol, moving through toxins that can be essentially accumulated. Um, and so it, it's, it's just about understanding that balance between foods that nourish you and foods that have different functions and how we can use all those um, in ways that support us in, in, a, in a holistic manner. And the other thing is, is that we also have to have kind of like discernment in the way that if something works for us, that doesn't mean we need to go a thousand miles per hour on that one thing. So say yes. you, you fasted for one day and you felt great or it helped your intestines uh, digest what was in there, etc. That doesn't mean now that you need to fast every single day of your life or every yes. week or whatever. And because you did a certain detox protocol and it helped or because you did a certain diet for a week and you felt better, that doesn't mean now that that diet is the best diet for you from from now on to the rest of your life. Right. Um, and so we really need to understand the difference between a therapy and a lifestyle. That's that's a very important concept that I've been trying to introduce. Yeah, because uh, therapies exist for a reason and they're they're acute. You do them and they're done and then you go back to a more sustainable lifestyle and this kind of ties into cycles and seasons which you know as women you understand cycles very deeply yeah we can look at nature everything operates in cycles seasons this is a concept that happens ubiquitously around us at all times and so we can apply that to ourselves with the way that we nourish ourselves, diets, detoxification, and the way that we live our lives, you know, you don't you don't necessarily need to eat the same way every single day, all four seasons, et cetera, right. et cetera. I love that you brought that up because that's something that I it it seems it's so hard to you know either people you know you see a lot of like dietitians that are like there's no bad foods and you should just eat whatever you know all the time and nothing's off limits and then you have people who maybe you're dealing with chronic disease you know SIBO or you know some type of infection where some of these therapeutic diets are helpful um, and I you know I I had Lyme disease as a, as a teenager and did all of these different diets um, and you can become jaded to them because they, they feel really restrictive and they feel um, frustrating and kind of scary when that is given to you as like, this is all you can eat now forever. Um, mm -hmm. But when you understand that it's a therapy, it's something that you maybe are going to do for a couple of weeks or um, maybe a month or two, and then you're going to go back to reintroducing a variety of foods. We're supposed to be omnivores. We're supposed to be able to have and enjoy variety. We're supposed to be able to eat seasonally. Um, and, you know, there's so much evidence to show that actually the more variety you have in your diet, the more you're able to eat seasonally. It actually really helps your immune system. It helps reduce food sensitivities because um, that's just the way that our body is designed to work is to have these, you know, like you said, all these cycles exist in, in the micro and the macro and in every possible way. So we're not supposed to eat the same thing all the time uh, forever. And, you know, for a lot of people, 
who don't know this, um, often if you are on a restrictive diet, you're eating the same things every single day and you go take like a food sensitivity test, those foods are going to be the ones that you ping as being allergic to or most sensitive to um, because you're having an immune reaction to these foods constantly every single day. And so that's, you know, just a, an argument for um, just having variety and recognizing that sometimes you might need to restrict a little bit certain things. Maybe they're not working for you in a certain season of your life, but it's temporary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we can see, you know, if you do to just pay attention to your environment, you'll see that different foods are presented to you at different times of the year. And some foods are available all year and you can use that as a, a bit of a foundation. Yeah. And it's cheaper because they're, yeah. it's local. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, great for so many ways. Um, to also, you know, talking about cycles, um, there's, you know, cycles to detox, um, detoxification. And one of the things that I've seen you do a lot lately that I am fascinated by is your liver cleanses. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would love to know, and just maybe if you could give like a brief kind of description of like what that even is for people who are unfamiliar. Um, but I would love to hear about your experience with doing that. Yeah. So we're talking about the, uh, the liver and gallbladder flush protocol that, uh, was pioneered by Hulda Clark and Andreas Moritz. And it consists of, uh, basically it's like a five day protocol where four days you're just basically prepping by taking malic acid or, uh, consuming apple or apples or, or enough apple based products like juice, cider, cider vinegar, um, to, to take in enough malic acid to, which is essentially what is supposed to soften the gallstones and, uh, gallstones basically accumulate in your gallbladder and potentially the, the bile ducts which connect the liver and the gallbladder um, over periods of time of, you know, the, the same culprits that, that provide us with any sort of illness or dysfunction, you know, estrogen dominance, environmental pollutants, industrial oils, PUFA, fried foods, etc., highly processed foods, uh, smoking, tons of alcohol use, et cetera, you name it. Things that are basically overburdened the liver um, and and cause blockages and accumulations. And what happens is your bile stops flowing effectively and it accumulates in the gallbladder with cholesterol and other proteins like bilirubin and calcium and, and other other things basically. But what form are essentially their gallstones or cholesterol stones they're called. And uh, the protocol after the four days of, of the malic acid, you then take a series of drinks uh, at starting at 6 p.m. You do a, a fast from 1 p.m. onwards. And then starting at 6 p.m. on the last day, you drink Epsom salt water and then you drink it again at 8 p.m. And then at 10 p.m. you drink a concoction of olive oil and citrus juice. Yum. It's, it's honestly horrendous. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then you go right to bed and in the morning you drink two more rounds of the Epsom salt water. 
and uh, the magnesium and the Epsom salts basically dilate the bile ducts and act as a laxative and the olive oil stimulates uh, a, basically you're drinking so much fat at once after having not consumed any fat for a long time and that stimulates bile a release of bile because the role of bile is to digest fat um, and what that does is it basically just makes your gallbladder shoot out as much of its contents as, as it can at that period of time. And, uh, yeah, you spend uh, the morning on the can and <laughs> a lot of green stones leave you usually. And I've done it six times now. I've had, I have a little friend group online that, uh, of seasoned flushers. Some of them have done over a hundred. Wow. And uh, yeah, two of these women have basically reversed chronic illnesses uh, by doing a long series of these flushes. Um, and yeah, they've continued to release tons and tons of congestion and and relieve symptoms, chronic symptoms of, of illnesses, which they've been given diagnoses for. But if you understand how the body works as a, as a unified system, uh, when one of its main orchestrators of health is not working, then that can cause any potential disease. And so that's why in general, you know, a lot of diagnoses are irrelevant and false anyways, um, and not how we should view wellness or illness and, and health. Um, so I'm curious, like mm -hmm. when, how do you feel after you do one of these flushes? Like, do you notice huge changes in how you feel right away? I would say uh, after doing six of them, which, you know, I probably still have many to go based on my history and, and stuff. Um, you, I've started to get more vivid feedback on how my liver is basically functioning at that given time. If, if bile is flowing, you're digesting foods much better, easier, digesting fat much easier. Um, you know, if I'm able to take in a few drinks of alcohol and I just, I, I get way more vivid feedback now. Sometimes if I have a few drinks, then my liver starts to produce a little bit of, you know, it's, I can feel it a little bit or my lower back will hurt a little bit. And that's because once you start doing these flushes, you're actually moving the contents of your, your gallbladder, you know, all these stuck accumulations start to move around before they're just kind of sitting there. Yeah. And until you basically empty it or, or at least get the majority of it out, um, you'll start to actually feel some of that and, and old symptoms you may have had years ago that have been now suppressed actually start to arise again as part of the detoxification. And I'm curious, and, I've heard, um, you know, in like traditional Chinese medicine, the liver is your organ of a lot of, there's a lot of emotions and anger being one of them. Um, but, you know, like stored trauma and, you know, these emotional events maybe that you've gone through kind of store physiologically in your liver. Um, and I'm curious, I've heard from other people who do this, you know, they have these kind of um, mental and emotional cleanses as well. Have you experienced anything like that? 
I haven't yet. Maybe maybe it's still coming, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard from others that they've had very significant experiences emotionally. Um, what I can say is that you know when the liver is functioning properly and feeling good, there's there's a true sense of vitality and just good mood, ha overall happiness. You know, you can just be staring at a wall and you're and you're content. Um, yeah. And that's like this to me, like the state of just high functioning physiology. That's and things are operating and flowing well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that's that's been really amazing to see firsthand. And uh, but it's a bit of a roller coaster, you know, things move around and and then you got to go back in and uh, and flush again. But it's you know you're definitely on the up and up and you get used to kind of like a higher quality of life so then when you go back yeah. down a little bit you're like oh wow so yeah you start to realize you're like oh <laughs> i didn't know i could even feel this awesome <laughs> yeah i've noticed that like kind of in many layers of that as i've gotten more and more into health and taking care of myself uh as soon as you start to feel any like slight discomfort like it's a reminder like wow this sucks yeah I just, uh, I, I just traveled and, you know, went with my boyfriend to go visit his family and we had an awesome time, um, mm -hmm. but they are, you know, they, they're very different than us in terms of just like what they eat. And, um, you know, so we were just kind of going with the flow and we were like, yeah, you know what, we're just gonna, you know, eat fast food and, you know, just, just go with the flow. And, you know, we, by the time we got back, we were like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a really good reminder, um, of why you do the things that you do. Um, yeah. and I kind of even appreciate sometimes, you know, like I don't really call it, you know, there's no wagon to fall off of, but, you know, getting out of your routine, um, because then you can kind of, it, it, it restores your appreciation for all those things that you do for yourself that maybe are inconvenient or, um, you know, take effort, but then you start to realize, oh, wow, this actually makes a really big difference. Um, and I feel way better. Exactly. Yeah. And I think many of the, like a lot of the goals around, at least my, some of my goals around, you know, getting into improving my health were that so that I could build resilience to then enjoy life and, yeah. you know, have fun times with family and friends and maybe sometimes have a few drinks and eat not the most perfect food because there's so much more to life than just chasing health and always trying to feel better and better and better all the time or trying to live forever. Right. Um, you know, there, there's so much more to life than that. And I think we want to build resilience and strength, like going to the gym, you know, you don't just go to the gym for the sake of it, you go to get strong so you can lift stuff and so that your body is functioning better on a day to day basis. The same thing is what we should be doing with, you know, our food consumption and taking certain supplements and doing detoxes and so on and so forth uh, so that we can actually live a good life and create good families and and have a really fulfilling, meaningful uh, time here, which is not just being healthy. Right. I feel like that is definitely, you know, that's it's the forest that gets lost for the the trees sometimes and you know we and and maybe too it's because we a, a lot of people that are in this world that are on this journey have been really sick and you don't want to mm -hmm. get back there. Um sure. but you know that idea of you're not 
necessarily like the journey never ends. You know, you're not going to reach a, like your destination of like, yep, check mark. Okay. I'm healthy I'm done now. now. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and it's more just like creating the this environment for yourself where you are building resilience through your routines, through, you know, not just what you're eating and, you know, whether or not you're doing a detox or taking certain supplements, but even just like in your community and your relationships um, and just finding this this balance where you are feeling good, but also able to really enjoy your life. Cause that's really why we're here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have a, absolutely. A good time. But the flip side of that is that you can't get too far into that, into that sort of uh, side of the, the coin. And then all of a sudden, Oh, I'm just enjoying my life. And next thing you right. know, your burgers and fries every week and drinking down <laughs> Cokes and whatever. And then all of a sudden your health actually falls again. And now you've got a, scramble to try and do something different and or or bring yourself back up to speed so right you want to find balance and to see reality is much easier from a point of clarity of, of physical health and you know intestinal clarity and health and stuff and liver function and brain function it's much much easier to to navigate through life from even just a mental and emotional spiritual perspective having yeah. good health than than not and i find too and i wonder if you have had this experience cuz i you know also when i was in college drank absolutely a ton was totally a partier um mm -hmm. and you know definitely went through a phase where i was like i'm going to eat whatever i want and it was all like pop tarts and easy mac and um yep. You know, it was almost and now that I'm kind of on the other side of that and that I, you know, have have created health for myself, um, I find that I don't need that as much. Like, I don't feel like I need to, you know, go have a bunch of drinks in order to have a really good time with friends. Um, part of that, too, is that I have different friends now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that when you really are feeling good, um, you don't have as much of that desire to you know, maybe do some of those things. Maybe some of those behaviors are still kind of that, um, you know, seeking the answer, seeking this, um, you know, f higher feeling, this better beneficial feeling um, that we don't really get until, you know, we're, we're clear headed and have clear livers and all of the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cause a lot of that in general is a, is a coping mechanism. You know, people are, they, either not enjoying their lives day to days or they hate their job or they don't feel well or they're and they're trying to basically cloud their their reality and fall into you know create a false sense of of fun by using substances using weed alcohol etc different drugs you know it's because they their their baseline state is not good enough and they can't have a good time without any of that. Right. And so they fall back on these substances in order to, to create that feeling for them. But what they really should be striving for is to just create that by having good health. And then, you know, all of a sudden your, your hormones align and your brain starts firing properly and everything starts working. And then all of a sudden you're having a good time on your own and then you want to go climb a mountain or go swimming in the in the lake or you know jump off something and interact right. with nature 
and all of a sudden you're having an amazing time anyways and you realize i don't even need you know any of these substances because i'm just so stoked on life as is and nature and everything's just flowing through me and yeah. that's that's really the goal um it sounds so cliche but it's so true you know when you're feeling the way your body is meant to feel i feel like you know so many of us and even a lot of us that are that do all of the health things, you know, maybe we're operating at like 30 or 40% of our, our capability. Um, and even, you know, just to hear that some people have done hundreds of gallbladder cleanses and they still are passing stuff. Like to me, I'm like, mm -hmm. what does my liver look like, yeah. <laughs> man? <laughs> yeah, um, it's... You know, so we're always just like, there's, there's always more to do. And, um, when you even start to get to, I, you know, I feel like the average person's probably functioning at like 10% of like mm -hmm. the capability that they have. And people don't even realize the, like how good they can feel. And, you know, when you start kind of uncovering that, it becomes almost addictive where you're like, oh yeah, this is great. I want to keep feeling this way. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is great. And it helps to know what we're up against as well. Right. Like the industrial revolution, introduced a lot of obstacles for us to get to get around and uh yeah. a lot of what we are doing now is basically just sort of navigating that yeah alone um and i think perhaps without without all that maybe we would have had more difficult lives but in a way we'd have a lot less obstacles to get by around in terms of you know physical health and and so on and so forth. And that's where the liver flushing comes in because you have fat soluble toxins, water soluble toxins. And I think a lot of the fat soluble ones, especially, and I think, I believe these would be in like detergents and oils, soaps and stuff like that. Things that we've all been exposed to our entire lives. Uh, and many of us on a daily basis, multiple times, things like inhaling exhaust uh, from fuels and stuff uh these can basically accumulate in these fatty deposits which would be in yeah. like the cholesterol and bile deposits etc so cleaning those out and getting the liver functioning again you could probably operate on any whole foods diet after that and and have a pretty good state of being and not have to be so finicky about what i eat and yeah how many macronutrient micronutrients all the time you know, thinking about that. Right. So it helps to know what we're up against. Definitely. Basically. And I yeah. think, you know, we are in this world that is, um, you know, we're, it's not totally possible to just, you know, as much as we would love to like have a garden and eat organic food and probably be able to combat just the onslaught of toxins that we are faced with all, every day, um, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, it is nice to be able to have supplements um, and certain things that kind of help, you know, help us fight back against all of this like toxic burden. Um, and one of the things that I love for so many reasons and that I want to talk to you about before we go um, mm -hmm. is methylene blue. And I have a really hard time, you know, people always ask me what it is. It's, it's, I, tell people it's my desert island supplement. Like if I could only have one thing ever, it would probably be methylene blue. Um, yeah. But I have a really hard time describing what it does other than just like it fixes everything. <laughs> it's the magic bullet. Um, 
So I would love to just hear as, as someone who is more of an expert on it, certainly than I am. Um, can you give us like a 101 kind of like, if someone were to ask you like, what is this and what does it do? And why should I take it? Um, can you give us that little, a little summary? For sure. I'll say that first, that there's no real way to describe it in a, in a way that's totally non-scientific. Yeah. Just because of the nature of, of what it is, it is a synthetic molecule and, uh, and it's only studied within, you know, it's only used within sort of scientific research and, and laboratory settings. So, so there has to be a bit of science, so to speak, involved yeah. in the, in the dis- description, but, uh, so methylene blue is the first man-made medicine that was ever used. And it was first used in 1876 by a scientist named Paul Ehrlich. And it was actually something that came from the textile dyeing industry. And he started using it to stain biological agents um, just when studying them. And he was staining like certain tissues or or infections and he was noticing basically these infections would clear up after he would stain them and so he said i gotta you know study this more basically i don't know that he said that specifically but (laughs) in germany probably said that and and eventually they found out that they could use it for a multiple or sorry a a multitude of, of different infectious conditions like they were first using it for malaria and they kept on studying it and realizing it was just, it was restoring the, basically the life force to the tissues that they would stain. And what that does is, is now that these tissues are no longer dying and decaying. And so there's no need for the bacteria or fungus to come and break down the tissue, which these are not infectious or harmful in in themselves, but what they do is they serve to break down decaying tissue and recycle it back to nature, back to its constituents so that it can now be back at their building blocks to recreate something new, right? And that's the cycle of nature as mediated by microorganisms. And these microorganisms kick in when things are dying and decaying, just like, uh, you know, fungus or mushrooms on a decaying log in the forest and so on and so forth. Um, so it really helps to understand the true model of health and disease and, and illness in that case. Um, just so we are clear about what is happening here when we talk about things like antibacterial or antifungal, etc., um, because methylene blue itself is known as an electron, uh, an alternative electron transporter. Mm-hmm. And what oxygen is, is our main electron transporter. So it, it facilitates the flow of electricity through our body, which happens with the interplay between oxygen and water and electrical charge with uh, electrolytes and, and electricity itself which is flowing through us constantly. Um, When things like poisons, like 
pesticides or cyanide, etc. When when we consume these or ingest them or absorb them, these things block the flow of electricity via oxygen in our cells, and that's what inhibits the production of energy in general. And as I said, electron, uh, sorry, methylene blue is an alternate electron transporter. So it actually is able to, when oxygen is being inhibited by the poisons, it is able to step in and reinvigorate that, that electrical flow, which then reinvigorates the energy production of the cell. And then the, you know, in a grander perspective, then the tissue comes back to life and then the bacteria and fungus go away because it's not decaying anymore. And then wow. that's when you have the reinvigoration of the entire life system. Um, so that that's to me is the most significant part of, of methylene blue, what it does, its function, how that's relevant to us. And then, you know, we can talk about more of its practical or specific uses uh, because it's, it's approved by, uh, you know, for hospital use by the FDA. Right. Um, at least in the U.S. I'm not sure about Canada and other countries, but it's approved for malaria, uh, for septic shock, for cyanide poisoning, carbon monoxide poisoning, and for UTIs. So if you're to get any of these and maybe present to an ER, they'll actually have uh, vials ready to inject basically you know, at least the equivalent of like one bottle of, of my product. Wow. Um, if not more, and, and oftentimes it's more. So they'll inject you with a very high dose of it straight into your blood. And a lot of times it works very quickly. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing that at home or... or uh, <laughs> Don't inject taking, yourself. <laughs> yeah, taking large doses on a regular basis. Uh, not that it's unsafe, it's a very safe, uh, substance, but going back to therapy versus, uh, lifestyle, like, you know, it, it can be used acutely in high doses to treat the most severe poisonings and reverse yeah. them. Uh, so that's very interesting to me. And then you should think back to what I was talking about with the oxygen flow and it's the poisons like cyanide is a prime example of that how cyanide kills you is that when you have a high enough dose of it in your system it totally blocks the uh the use of oxygen by your cells wow and so methylene blue being able to reinvigorate that through the process i described is i think one of the only known antidotes for cyanide poisoning Wow. I didn't even know that. That's amazing. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. And, I, and it can't be patented. So that's why it'll, you know, you'll never hear about it on a grand, grand scale. Right. Although it's gotten more popular. Well, I always get asked that, you know, by like, well, why don't people talk about this? Um, and even I just was reading an article the other day um, about how helpful it is and how useful it is. It can bring people back from the brink of death um, if they're dying of septic shock in the hospital. And mm -hmm. this article I was reading was written by a doctor and it was just talking about how it's so silly that 
it that's it's used as a last resort. Like if they've tried everything else and this person is still about to die, then they'll give them, you know, the infusion of methylene blue. And that usually saves their life. Um, you know, but of course it's like, well, why didn't you just start with that? You know, they could have probably yeah. saved them money and trauma and, you know, so many other, you know, almost dying <laughs> death of tissue. Um, and it's able to, you know, bring them back to life. And also, um, like heart rhythms, uh, you know, like people who are having heart attacks uh, or arrhythmias, I mm -hmm. read that it can help with that as well. And so, yeah, just the seems... heart is, is an electrical, you know, very much an electrical organ. Right. It's not a pump. And, you know, it's because they, I think it's because they have to use the profitable drugs first, right. maybe even by law or by some sort of a very specific regulation. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, We've used all the ones we can charge all the money for. So I guess just give them this so they don't die. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, we've going back to, uh, you know, kind of the, the cult, the new religion, um, mm -hmm. you know, you wonder, this has been very censored lately in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, specifically, we know that it works really well for heart conditions for, you know, hypoxia conditions where people are experiencing low oxygen. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, well, okay, why wasn't this given as infusions when people were being hospitalized for, uh, you know, the thing that must not be named, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then you kind of see, oh, well, they were getting all these incentives to, you know, if people did die in the hospital, they were getting pay, you know, so it's like all these things. And, you know, when you start to kind of dive into that and unwrap some of those things, you, you start to understand why um, maybe a drug like this is not one that you've ever heard of before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's unfortunately, typically because they're paid to poison people, and uh, and unfortunately, yeah, to they were being even paid to basically kill people in the yeah. hospitals, and highly incentivized for that, and so that they could push a false narrative that was going on, which was not even necessarily going on. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely. Um... You know, whether depending on, you know, where you fall on the spectrum of uh, of belief there, um, mm -hmm. lots of different opinions. But I think we can all agree that there was a lot of untoward things going on. <laughs> and that's yeah. why you maybe uh, haven't heard about methylene blue. Um, but I would love to hear from you for somebody that maybe has never tried it before. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what do you generally you know, and obviously like disclaimer, none of this is medical advice, <laughs> do everything with your own, you know, do your own research. Um, but where, you know, where's a place where you kind of recommend that people start, um, you know, with, uh, you know, we don't necessarily need to talk about like dosage, but, yeah. um, you know, like what can people kind of expect when they maybe are going to try that for the first time? Well, I'll say the most the most common effect that people get is kind of this like nootropic effect. That's typically the most instant and most common effect people get, especially when dropping it under the tongue, uh, which allows it to basically get into the bloodstream quicker. Um, and I think one of the main reasons for that is because going back to the mechanism with oxygen, the brain uses 20% of the total oxygen consumption of our entire body, right? So that's, so one fifth of our oxygen consumption happens up there and, and 25% of our total glucose consumption 
And so when you reinvigorate the metabolism up there, then you will have what seems to be a nootropic sort of experience and increase in mood and mental clarity and verbal fluidity. And you might feel more energized and so on and so forth. But what you're doing is bringing your body back to uh, more of a baseline, higher functioning state of metabolism. Um, and, and then it'll present itself as, you know, you going above and beyond, but it's actually sort of bringing you back up to speed where you should be. Yeah. So that's very significant and, uh, and interesting. And that can, you know, that can happen for a lot of people at a very small dose, as much as one to two drops or one to four drops under the tongue. And some people will require more and other people will not be sensitive to it at all and can take droppers and droppers of it and say, hey, I don't feel anything. And other people will take one drop and it will send them spinning. So, yeah, and that's more rare, but it does happen. you know, everyone has their own individual physiological context and different molecules will be responded to differently. Right. Um, so I always say, you know, just try one drop at first just to see how your body does. And if you feel nothing, then, you know, you can experiment. Like I said, they'll in IV an entire bottle right into your bloodstream in right. a hospital. Uh, in a in a specific scenario, so you don't have to worry about am I doing too much or am I overdosing? Da da da. There's you know there's really no safety concern in that respect. Um, right. It's not meant to be mixed with SSRI drugs because at a high dose, uh, methylene blue can have the, a similar interaction, which is uh, inhibiting an enzyme that that basically degrades serotonin. Um, but for lower doses, like the ones I'm mentioning, there's, there's very little concern for that. And I would say, take this as an opportunity to become more intuitive with your body, with yourself, um, you know, because there's no guidelines, I'm not allowed to recommend a certain dosage or any dosage at all. I, you know, there's no one holding your hand through this. And so take that as an opportunity to, you know, get back in the driver's seat and experiment, see how your body does and take more. Maybe you don't like it, take less, maybe you throw it out. Like, you know, be your own, be your own captain for that. But uh, a lot of people have found their ways and, and it's changed so many lives. Like I, I get messages every single day still you know, after selling it for almost, I think two years now. Wow. Um, and it's just incredible. Like, you know, yesterday I'm getting messages, people reviving their chickens and their dogs with it. Wow. I give it to my dog every day. I give it, I have, you know, and I mean, my dog, I have a French bulldog. He's Mm -hmm. 10 years old, um, which, you know, like, no, we never expected him to even live to be 10. You know, that's kind of like the life expectancy for French bulldogs. Um, And I do, you know, I give him like real food and stuff. I make, you know, so he's not getting toxic sludge dog food. Um, But I give him every day in in all of his water. I do like one or two drops of methylene blue. um, And he's, 
the healthiest he's ever been. He's probably going to live to be 20. Um, and, you know, he's dealt with, uh, you know, of course, like my whole family, my boyfriend and I and the dog all had really mm-hmm. bad symptoms dealing with mold. Um, and I think because he was the smallest, he had the worst symptoms in our moldy house. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, just swelling and like all of this stuff. And one of the things that I did was I would give him like, I would, you know, aspirin and methylene blue. Um, and that kind of brought him back. You know, I, of course, I, I know a lot, you know, I I know a lot about human bodies, but I didn't know a lot about dog bodies. And so I took Mm -hmm. him to the vet. Um, and they were of course, no help at all whatsoever. Um, and so I took him home and I was like, I'm, I'll, I'm going to take care of this myself. And I just would crush up some little aspirin capsules and some methylene blue and, and, right. you know, fixed them. Yeah, um, good job. You know, and even for myself, I can take pretty, pretty massive doses. And I think probably because I do have a lot of um, just tissue damage from living in mold, from being exposed to so many toxins. Yeah. Um, and I have found that it's, it's been so helpful for me and just being able to function, you know, one of the things that I, you know, a lot of people when they're dealing with mold, they get really bad brain fog. And I've had really bad brain fog with, um, you know, when I had Lyme in the past, that's always been something that's been a problem for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and in having, you know, this, this experience with the mold, I had a lot of the same symptoms, but I cognitively was really sharp the entire time. Um, and even like my naturopath, who's a friend of mine, like, was like, how are you even this functional? And I'm pretty sure it's the methylene blue just because it was, has that neuroprotective effect. And, you know, it's like I say, it's, it's my desert Island thing. I'll never go anywhere without it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's even in that context, it's important for us to, to figure out where the damages of mold come from Yeah, or because mold in itself is not, it's not intrinsically harmful, but when right. it's present in your house, depending on what it's sitting on, what your house was made of, what paints it's sitting on or drywall, uh, glues, it may be breaking down and then aerosolizing. You're now inhaling all of these toxins um, right. from the building materials and, you know, whatever else is, is in the, the bones of the house, basically. Yeah. which are, are usually, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, <laughs> of chemicals that are harmful right. to us. And so it makes sense now applying the the sort of pesticide model, I'd, I'd call it, that methylene blue would be helpful if, you know, if you're having some of these toxins that act similarly to, say, pesticides or cyanides, um, shutting down that cellular oxygen use. Yeah it would make sense why methylene blue is so helpful in that scenario. Well, it's definitely been a, a lifesaver, you know, Mm -hmm. and part of it too is, you know, I've, I've known people who have experienced, they've lived in mold and have been totally fine. Um, Same with like really with anything, you know, it all, it kind of comes down to the state of your body as you're experiencing, um, you know, these, these toxic burdens. Um, And so, you know, I know for me that it's like this experience has really just kind of pulled up any hole and area where I need to kind of work on my terrain. Um, And, you know, it's just interesting to see how, you know, it's affected my boyfriend totally different that it's affected me. It's affected our dog differently, you know, and I've known people who've lived in, you know, we, we know the, 
our family is uh, neighbors with the person who lives in our moldy house. And that person is doing fine. You know, who knows what they're, um, you know, how they really feel and, you know, if they're mm-hmm. dealing with any chronic health issues or anything. But, you know, I've, I've known plenty of people that, you know, maybe get a Lyme diagnosis or maybe, you know, EBV or, you know, some of these other things and they have no symptoms. Um, meanwhile, you know, other people, it's, it's, it's a good opportunity to kind of shine a light on like where you maybe need to build, like we were talking about, build that resiliency. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I find like some people are, are like super troopers when it comes to like dealing with just like consuming just pure poison all day long (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and they can just do it. And then I also find some people are like borderline robots to the point where it's like, I'm like, does this person even exist? Like, I don't know if it's like the repeat, like high serotonin state, but like some people are just like, it's like nothing matters to them, good or bad. They're just yeah like going through life, you know, consuming poison, no sleep, <laughs> da, 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 and maybe it'll catch up with them. But yeah, you can watch some people and, and uh, I don't know how they do it. Maybe different foundations, who knows, Yeah, right? Um, yeah, but- well, it's definitely, you know, I, I think that, some of us are meant to like find our way on this journey and some of us aren't, aren't necessarily meant to find it. Um, you know, and, and we're all here for different reasons. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I, you know, I have lots of family members who I love very deeply and they do not agree with me necessarily on anything related to health. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of like, all right, you know, that's, I still love you. That's fine. We have all kinds of other things we can talk about. And if you ever need my help, I'm here, <laughs> but I'm not going to try to change your mind. Yeah. Um, if we were all know, the same, it'd be pretty boring anyways. So it would, it would be super yeah. boring. Um, well, Adam, I love talking to you and I'm sure we could talk for like two more hours. I still have other questions for you, but I think um, we'll go ahead and end the show here. And I would love to have you on in the future for another episode. I want to talk yeah, about mushrooms. Sure. That's okay. that's the next topic I want to talk about. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much. And can you tell everybody, okay, so your personal Instagram account is Adam Marfiati, and yep. then your company is Lifeblood, and that's spelled L-I-F-E-B-L-U-D. Um, C-O, that, yeah, at the end of the yeah. Instagram, Lifeblood Co., all one, one handle. No and that's dots. your website, too, lifeblood.co. Exactly. Which is where... That's you're the only person who I get methylene blue from. Um, and I also B vitamins too. We could dive into that for days. Um, yeah. But yeah. I yeah, love that's all like uh, understanding metabolism and cell metabolism. B vitamins are super important there. And yeah, we can go into that another time. How's let's that? do let's I I'm already coming up with all kinds of ideas of what we need to talk about next. So you'll definitely cool. I'll have to get you on for another um, another part two. awesome sounds good to me well thank you so much and thank you everyone to for tuning in um thank you adam so much for joining me um and i will see you guys on the next episode